0: Hello, friend, and welcome to the U-Turn podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a career expert, a speaker, and a best-selling author of the book, U-Turn. Get unstuck, discover your direction, design your dream career. I wrote the U-Turn book and created this podcast to help you reconnect to who you truly are at your core. And that's why every single week, I bring a guest on with the intention of helping you upgrade your confidence in work and in love. I'm also so excited to say that this episode has been sponsored in part by our friends over at Soul CBD. This is the only CBD company I've come to fully trust with my wellness, and I'm so excited to share with you one of their brand new products, Harmony. That's H-A-R-M-O-N-I harmony is a doctor formulated blend to ease pms symptoms i was a part of the beta testing for this line and wow it has been a game changer so harmony is a cpd product that actually offers that pms relief and if you're anything like me pms comes with cramps and cravings and kind of feeling like a bloated roly-poly just rolling around But since I started taking these little gummies each month, my symptoms have lessened and I feel more like myself no matter where I'm at in my cycle. This combination of CBD, dandelion root, B6, and magnesium make this little gummy so worth it and their raspberry lemonade flavor seriously stops my sweet tooth from taking over. And we all know I have a sweet tooth. So the co-founder Angie Lee developed this product after struggling through her own journey with intense PMS and I'm so excited to share them with you now. As you may know, our friends over at soul CBD have given us a discount code for 15% off your order. Can't suggest it enough. Head on over to ashleystahl.com. That's dot com slash soul, S-O-U-L, to access our special page with them. And don't forget to use your code U-TURN at checkout. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N. Now let's get into this week's episode. You turn friends. It's Ash here uh, another week on the mindset category of the show. And I wanted to bring Ethan Cross onto the show. So he's an American experimental psychologist, a neuroscientist, a writer, and he specializes in emotion regulation, which is truly something that I need. My dog, my new puppy, he definitely needs it. My dad growing up maybe needed. So we've got a lot to cover. He's a professor of psych and management at the University of Michigan um, and the director of the emotion and self-control laboratory there, which, you know, again, we all need. And he's author of the national bestseller called Chatter, the voice in your head, why it matters and how to harness it. So obviously, I have so many questions for him around emotional regulation, and we need to send him some Love, because on this interview, he is facing COVID, uh, but he sounds pretty good. So without further ado, thanks for being here, despite being a little under the weather.
1: No, I wouldn't, wouldn't miss it. I've been looking forward to the conversation. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I always love having professors on because you, you're all such natural s- storytellers and communicators. And um, I'm curious, what got you to focus on emotional regulation as that specific topic?
1: No, no pressure to tell a good story now, huh?
0: Yeah, yeah. Don't be boring now, Stephen. <laughs> um,
1: well, as a matter of fact, you know, <laughs> the experience goes back to when I was a kid growing up in in Brooklyn, not far from, from where you are. Um, I had a really unconventional dad who... On the one hand was what I think of when I think of like a stereotypical 1980s dad, you know, big bushy mustache, pot belly, though he wouldn't like to hear me describe him as such. But he had one and potty mouth on the road would like flip other people off. They cut him off on the Bell Parkway. Um, and New York Yankees fan, uh, voracious smoker as well. But when he wasn't doing all those things, he was reading Eastern philosophy and meditating in the bedroom in a lotus position. And you know, he was not a college professor. Uh, he wasn't a college grad. He just was enamored by the, the the new age movement and and some of those ideas. And when he wasn't Meditating, he was talking to me about what he was learning about from the time I was a little kid. And a lot of those lessons dealt with being able to manage my emotions. He used to teach me, hey, whenever there's a problem, you know, he was so corny, I should say. I love him dearly. But you know, he would tell me, like, go inside and find the kernel of truth, you know, it's it so dramatic, you know, as a three-year-old. My God. But um, but as parents have a way of doing, um, his messages penetrated and Like growing up, whenever I'd experienced some curveball, if you will, like I'd ask someone out, they'd say no, or get into a fight with my mom or a friend. I followed his instructions. I'd I'd introspect. Hey, why is this happening? What can I do about it? And by and large, that served me really, really well. And then I got to college and I started taking courses on psychology. And what I learned was this gift that my dad gave me, this this, um, learning how to use my mind to solve problems. Um, turns out lots of people benefited from it, except there were a lot of people who also didn't benefit from it at times, including yeah. some of the same people who did benefit. So sometimes it helps us, but other times we get stuck ruminating and worrying and catastrophizing, you know, states of mind that no New Yorker would know anything about. Oh my
2: gosh.
0: <laughs> I hit a low as a New Yorker, Ethan, just the other day, I Was getting off of an airplane and, you know, I have my puffer jacket, my mask on. I've been on the plane for six hours and this woman stood up and her head was right where I needed to get the luggage out. Uh And, you know, past me from California would be like, oh, excuse me, got to get my luggage. but there was like some hardening around my heart where I just like unleashed the luggage cabin and just watched oh her, her head. And I was like, who, what, what has become of me? And I didn't even say, sorry. I was like, Whoa, like when I got off the plane, I'm like, I need to get back into my, <laughs> You've been my hardened. soul. You, yeah. You need To get
1: back to California.
0: I know uh, I've got, I've hardened officially, but you know what? Um, one thing that you said from your dad that I thought was really interesting was this idea of the kernel of truth. Whenever you get feedback kind of reminds me of that expression where there's smoke, there's fire. Mm -hmm. Like what is the kernel of truth? So whenever someone's uncomfortable with feedback, like kind of doing your side of the work and saying, where can this maybe be true? And we live in a world where, you know, there's a lot that you're, I'm sure able to know even more than I do about personality disorders and gaslighting and how common that can be. And so, on, it's such a fine dance between taking feedback and finding that kernel of truth and then also protecting yourself and trusting yourself and knowing what you know and not m- minimizing what you know to listen to what someone else thinks. Um, I think you're,
1: yeah, you're okay. absolutely um, hitting the nail on the head. Um that's the right expression, right? Like sorry, sorry, listeners, COVID brain here is a little bit more fog than usual. Don't um, worry. I think I did get that right. But but that's exactly the the precarious balance that we need to achieve. It's often really difficult. So the way I like to talk about this whole phenomenon, this whole space, that my book is what it's all about is. We've got this unbelievable tool, a tool that distinguishes us from every other animal on this planet, and it's the human mind. It's an amazing tool that lets us build spaceships, develop vaccines, all this other good stuff. And yet it is also a tool that is a source of enormous suffering because we often don't manage to you know achieve that balancing act that you're describing and so really what the what we do in my lab and what the book is all about is how do you achieve that balance how do you allow people to reflect on painful things at times negative stuff um And learn from it, and move on without getting stuck in those negative thought loops that can be so pernicious, Um, and that I think are one of the big problems we face as a species. And the good news is that there's lots of really simple science-based tools that people can use to help um, manage it. And so, so that's what um, we study, what I'm interested in, what I write about, and so forth.
0: Love that. I I have somebody really close to me where she's very sensitive to feedback, and I'm sure a lot of people listening can feel that like maybe they live in fear in their job of getting feedback. They're tiptoeing. They're living on eggshells. Um, somebody very close to me, she would, the the bridge between the feedback and her crying and being in tears was very short. And so I had to kind of sit with her and I was close enough to her, thankfully to be able to say, what's going on for you when you get feedback? Cause it's neutral. You know, it can be as neutral as a, you know, being at a restaurant being asked if you want dessert it's, it's yes or no, it's just feedback you know what's happening for you that's making this so emotional and it ended up coming down to like you know early in her, her in her life um her parents got a divorce and the church disowned her and she lost a lot of people um and so she associates um people giving her feedback with her potentially losing people in her life. and so she lives in this fear and I think there's a lot going on beneath the surface for people um and I love I looked at your i you know went through your book chatter and i I just want to kind of start off I know you have that point of working with the voice in our heads as a way to catalyze career change or personal change can you tell me a little bit more about what that means for you or for everyone listening
1: <laughs> yeah um you know so I think we can so chatter is a term i use to uh, refer to getting stuck in those negative thought loops. Sometimes it's, you know, those self disparaging, you're not good enough. Oh my God, I'm never going to achieve. Sometimes it can be anxiolytic or depressogenic or anger provoking, but it's, you're stuck. And um, we can experience chatter in really any domain of life that we are invested in, including our careers and our future. And when we're considering making a career change, like that's a point in time where there's a lot on the line and there's a lot of risk often involved in making the career change, right? And so how do we balance the comfort that might exist in our existing existing line of work with the leap of faith we have to take to go into a new one. How do you manage that? And, um, you know, the same tools that we use to manage other forms of chatter are relevant here. And I like to break them down as falling into three buckets. So things you could do on your own, uh, people tools. So ways of interact with other people that could be beneficial. And then environmental tools actually are, are physical spaces and you know, to, to get to the conclusion from the start, there's no single magic pill. No, and I, I'd be curious to know whether this is true of what you've experienced in some of your coaching work. Um, I think we often are looking for one 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 stop solutions that help ev- help us across all situations. Like I've been studying this stuff formally for twenty years. I've yet to find a single magic pill. What instead we know exists are lots and lots of different tools and different tools work for different people in different situations. So it really is about finding the combinations of tools that work best for you. The four or five things that I do when I experience a little chatter are very different from the four or five things that my wife does. Like we just don't overlap there. We overlap in lots of other things, not our chatter fighting tools. Mm -hmm. And that's perfectly fine. Um, So, Okay. That was all pretty abstract. No, so like, you know, co- concretely, what is, well, I'll tell you what I do. Like when I get some chatter um, first, some things that I do really quickly um, we know that we're much better at giving advice to other people than giving ourselves advice. Like this is a truism. You have a friend or a loved one, they are spinning over a problem ruminating. anywhere they come to you and it's easy for you to coach them through the situation. You do this a lot. I would imagine in your Spare time or not spare time. Um, But when this, I would, I would venture to guess and Ashley tell me to, you know, uh, push back if I'm, if I'm overreaching here, that sometimes the things that you are really adept at coaching other people you know, to handle, how to skillfully handle, like when it comes to you and if you're experiencing a similar situation, sometimes you struggle a little bit on your own. Is that fair?
0: Yeah, I am a human for sure. I think imposter syndrome comes to mind. Like I I rarely feel that weirdly. And lately I've been on an edge in my career and it's something I've coached so many people on. And now that I'm growing a lot, I'm like, wow, this is what it feels like to have imposter syndrome, this thing that I've coached so many people through. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I am. Yeah, a, yep.
1: It's. A, I, I love the fact that you say it like that. I mean, it is a truism. Um, there's actually a name for this. We call it Solomon's paradox, mm-hmm. and um, it's named after the Bible's King Solomon, who it was, you know, famous in the history of the world for being one of the wisest people around. He could give wise advice to other people. When it came to his own life, he actually made a, a, a slew of terrible decisions. Here's what I find so fascinating. And that makes me feel like a kid in a candy store uh, or a toy store growing up, which is we have figured out ways to help people overcome this bias, simple tools that people can use to help them give themselves advice, like they were coaching one of their best friends. When we ask people sometimes, Hey, what's going through your head right now when you're experiencing chatter or that imposterism like, Sometimes people don't even wanna share with us what they're thinking. They don't even wanna say it out loud because it is so outlandish. It is ridiculous. They would never say in a million years to their best friend what they're saying to themselves. That's really powerful.
0: Hey U-Turners, I wanna take this moment to say that this episode is sponsored in part by SaneBox, an email tool that I have been using every single day to be more productive and less scattered with the average person working and getting 100 to 200 emails a day. I don't know about you, but I've been fighting the fight with email for a few years now, and after continuously losing, I decided that I needed help. I did my research and I was so excited to find SaneBox as an affordable tool for my Gmail, and it works with any other email provider really, that can sort your emails for you before you open up your laptop and get lost in the sauce. All you'll see once you download it is on your sidebar where there's words like inbox or trash. There will be a couple other new folders that I'm totally obsessed with. One is called Sane Later, which is pretty much code for all the emails coming in that you don't need to see. And the other one, my favorite one, is called the Sane Black Hole, which is where you can drag and drop emails that you just don't want to be subscribed to any more. The Same Later box automatically uses artificial intelligence to know that you don't want that email and it puts it right there in that folder. Every few days I check my Same Later folder, skim through it and I'm just so happy to be saving so much time. I used to spend every single morning overwhelmed by my inbox and now I have so much more time on my hands thanks to SaneBox. So for the first couple of weeks I monitored my SaneBox once a day and dragged and dropped messages from senders that I would have wanted in my regular inbox and now I find that it perfectly knows who should and shouldn't be waking their way in my inbox so head on over to www.sanebox.com slash u-turn that's s-a-n-e-b-o-x dot com slash y-o-u-t-u-r-n to access 14 days of Sanebox for free and a $25 credit to get a serious discount on the super affordable year membership now it's time we all get out of our inbox and back into our life. Now let's get back to this week's episode. Yeah, it's sometimes also just they don't want to own something. Like I think about how I have a a friend who's dating this guy and he doesn't want to put a label on their relationship, which is probably a totally different U-Turn podcast episode, but... (laughs) what I will say is what I've kind of found when I'm watching this dynamic is that they're clearly in a relationship, but there's something for him about owning it and the responsibility that comes with claiming something, right? Yeah. Like the yeah. difference between letting something float around in your head versus naming it and then having responsibility with it. Um, and it's interesting because people's chatter always looks different. I find that with clients, like people go different places, right? Like I'll see one person and they like to catastrophize. So if they get feedback, their mind spirals into the worst version of how they could have caused a problem because of this feedback they're getting. And and now the whole world is going to tumble down versus just taking the feedback for what it is and not making it bigger. Other people get angry and that's where they go. So it reminds me a lot of um, Untethered Soul by Michael Singer in that voice. He talks about that voice that's always in your head and you talk about the pattern. So Um, You talked about some things you could do on your own um, and then some people tools and the environmental tools, which are such good categories. Could you tell us a little bit about each one, what you can do on your own?
1: Yeah. So, so, you know, if we start with uh, things you could do on your own. So one tool is called distanced self-talk and what it involves doing is making a slight change in how we talk to ourselves specifically using language. So we typically Think about our problems in the first person. Like, oh my God, what am I going to do? My feet, oh, again, I'm feeling crappy, blah, blah, blah use your own name and the second person pronoun you to try to give yourself advice. Now you don't want to do this out loud, walking down fifth Avenue.
0: I mean, plenty you know, of people
1: are, you know, <laughs> <laughs> they it's are in this is true. <laughs> but you know, you know, it, it, it works just fine in your own head. And you save yeah. some of these social um, judgment that follows, but here's what I find. So, so cool about this tool. And, and, and everything I'm telling you about, by the way, is science-based with lots of research behind it. Um, when do we use names and word, and like pro, second-person pronouns, like the word you? We use those parts of speech. Typically, we think about and refer to other people. So when you use those parts of speech to refer to yourself... It's essentially automatically switching your perspective. It's getting you to start thinking about yourself like you would think about someone else. Yeah. And that makes it much easier for us to give ourselves good advice. So if I find myself beginning to spiral out of, you know, because something happens, an email, blah, 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 blah. blah. We all have our triggers. Mm. Uh, All right, Ethan, here's what you're going to do, buddy. And and like, I am talking to myself, like I give advice to a friend, super simple thing. Another tool you can use... I'm giving you my own favorites. I'm not going to cover them all. They're 26 yeah. I, that I talk about. Um, something we call temporal distancing or mental time travel. When we're smired in chatter, we what happens is we zoom in. We get stuck in this tunnel vision where all we can think about is the negativity and what's happening and how we feel. And when that happens, we often lose sight of the fact that. We experience chatter a lot. And most of the time, like our, our feelings, negative feelings spike, but then come down. And And just recognizing that can be really, really helpful. So what I'll do, and I, I often do this at, when I have two in the morning chatter, if you've ever had that. It happens to Love me once every chatter. month oh, or yeah. six weeks. Yeah, it's lovely, right? You wake mm-hmm. up, it's 2 a.m. Your eyes are like, you know, yep. and then, and, <laughs> yeah. yeah, uh-oh, you know, how am I going to get back to bed? I tell myself- Immediately. I have a plan to do it. Um, Ethan, you know, it's not going to be as big of a deal in the morning or if that doesn't work next week or a month. So what I'm doing there, super simple. It's called mental time travel. I'm, I'm thinking about how I'm going to feel in the future. And what that does is it, it makes clear to me that no matter what I'm dealing with now, It's going to get better in the future because most of the time our circumstances do. There are a couple of exceptions to this rule where this strategy wouldn't apply, maybe certain forms of like terminal illness, as an example. But for most of the -the run-of-the-mill chatter we experience, we typically do feel better over time. We've learned that that happens over the course of our lives. And so engaging in that little bit of mental time travel, that gives us hope. And hope is a powerful antidote to a chatter-prone inner voice. Now, you could also go back in time, and I do that as well. I've done this for COVID chatter when, you know, like my kids are at home and I'm stuck in the house and I'm not exercising as much and all these kind of things. Um, It's easy to get really frustrated, but then I'll just think to myself, well, as bad as things are right now, they were much, much worse. During the last major pandemic, the the pandemic of 1918, the Spanish flu, that was much worse. Like no Zoom, no takeout, many, many more deaths. And I'll go even further back in time, bubonic plague in, in, in the Middle Ages, like horrific. And guess what? We got through both of those events and we did get back to hugging and embracing and movies and restaurants. And we will get through this as well. So these are subtle, subtle mental shifts. That broaden our perspective and make it easier for us to manage our chatter. So those are those are two two things you could do on your own. Again, lots of other tools in that category. Um, but then, if we use myself as the example here, the guinea pig, let's say it's, it's Ethan Chatter that's happening. Um, <laughs> okay, that's okay cool. so let's say, let's say I do those two, and you know I need a little bit more help. Sometimes they're sufficient. Sometimes they're a little bit more then i'll 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 consult my chatter coaches my 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 advisory board, and they are another powerful tool when it comes to chatter. But the thing is, there are specific people who I go to for chatter support. I don't just haphazardly start firing away phone calls on my Oh my you know, gosh! I, I thought I'm you were saying specific. that there was
0: personalities in your head, like there was an advisor in your head, like this one No, 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 no. Head, like, Okay, actual,
1: actual humans. You know, okay. no other voices. Um, um, <laughs> no, we're talking about other people, and here's the thing about other people: they can be a tremendous asset, as you no doubt are, for all of your clients, but they can also be a tremendous vulnerability. And yeah. I don't think we think carefully enough about who to to talk to about our chatter. So many people think, and here's like one way that this goes can go wrong. Many people think that the way to be a good advisor to others is to just get them to talk, just get them to vent their emotions. There's been a lot of work on this. And what we know about venting is venting can be really good for strengthening the friendship bonds between two people. Like you and I are tight now. And Mm -hmm. I know I could count on you to talk about something. Like it feels good to know that you are there for me. Right. But if all we do is vent with each other, there's a name for this called co-rumination. Mm. We feel great about our relationship, but the problem is not only still there when we're done talking, it's often even more activated in our heads. So the best kind of support when it comes to chatter involves talking to people who do two things. First, they do let you express your emotions a little bit. It is important to establish those empathic connections, they need to learn about your experience, but at a certain point in the conversation, those people you're talking to, they start trying to help broaden your perspective and there's a lot of ways they could do it. Maybe they ask you like, so you've dealt with things like this in the past how have you how have you managed you know to succeed or "Hey, I've dealt with something similar, and here's what I've done Just trying to get people break them out of that negative thought spiral to think more broadly about the situation in a way that helps them work through it. That's the key to being mm-hmm. a good chatter advisor to others. And so I've got three or four people in my life. who are really good at that, right. um, but it's not everyone. And there are lots of people who I'm super close to. I'm related to them. I never talked to them about my chatter. I, yeah. you know, I talked about my kids and other stuff and, Uh, It's so important
0: that you can put people, I don't want to say in boxes, but kind of understand who to turn to for what, because that is one of the most damaging things I think people do is like, and and then there's the people who don't trust themselves, which is many of us. And then we're asking our dentist and our, our dry cleaner and our this and our that when really we should have a board. So maybe anybody listening right now should sit down after this episode and write down, like, what are those names that have those characteristics that you can turn to? Um,
1: Absolutely, and, and and you know it's it's interesting. Like this is a place where I think thinking about companies provides a really good metaphor. Like think about who sits on the board of advisors for you know Fortune five hundred companies, um, or you know nonprofits, or really any company that has a board. Like you think really carefully about who sits on that board because that board is there to advise the the, the management team on how to deal with crises that occur like, and so you want people who have really good acumen for dealing with those kinds of situations. I think we would all like, we owe it to ourselves to have this resource for our own lives because it's it's analogous. Like there are times when we experience various crises and and we need trusted people we can um, turn to in those instances
0: it makes me think about, um, did you watch Tiger King during the pandemic? the height of it?
1: I, I did watch I, I watched about a season and then i I, I couldn't, had enough i could I, I, I moved on to something equally
0: I atrocious just, but, I was well, of course, like we we need to find a way to fry our excess brain cells yeah. or whatever, but it's just interesting because I remember thinking I think it was like nineteen percent of Oklahoma voted for. Joe exotic to be the governor. And I think, wow, this, I don't know if he would have been the right one for the pandemic. So I I can only imagine him being the chair of the pandemic. Yeah. Um,
1: I mean, I think really like other people like, you know, so chatter is all about the conversations we have with ourselves, but mm -hmm. those conversations are influenced by our surroundings and other people are a prime influencer. Yeah. Um, and then if you go out further, like culture is another way that oh yeah, the voice in our head as well. like you know, Oklahoma right there is an example. So yeah. um, just being alert to how all this works, I think is so important.
0: Yeah so that kind of want to go back to this idea of the how to work with the voice in your head. I like that you talk about distancing yourself. Um you also talk about environmental factors and I love that. Um we had Ben Hardy who's a good friend. Uh, I don't know if you know Ben's work. Personality isn't permanent and he talks a lot about environmental and I love that because I think for me and I think people are different, right? Like you were saying different tools for different people my environment, like when I worked in counterterrorism and I was in the Pentagon with no window, it really, I was like a little plant dying in there, you know? So I need, I need my environment to inspire me. And um, so I'm curious, what what do you have to say about environment? Does that mean the people you're around, the place you live? Tell me a little bit more about that piece. Uh,
1: it means both. So people, uh, culture, and but also physical spaces. And I must confess that, like when I was researching the book, this was some of the most Eye-opening work I came across the myriad ways that our physical environments can impact us, and specifically our conversations that we have with ourselves. Um, You know, to your example about when you're in the Pentagon in the windowless um, room and you felt like you were shriveling up. Yeah. um, You know, that's interesting because I tell the story of this one famous experiment that was done with um, in in Chicago in the largest public housing projects that was erected at the time. And the way this worked is people were essentially tenants in this housing project were randomly given apartments and the apartments had different views. Some faced out onto like cement, concrete, you know, and dilapidated structures, whereas other windows faced onto green spaces like little parks and things like that. And one researcher went around and the first thing they did, they got, they, they interviewed people living in different apartments and they had them rate how well they how good they were at managing their emotions and dealing with difficulties and they then looked to see does the amount of green space that their apartments look out onto influence their ability to manage their emotional lives And it turned out that it did The more green space exposure you have, the better you are. And there's been a lot of research, brain research, behavioral research on this ever since. And here's what we've learned. And I think it's fascinating. One of the things we know about chatter is it consumes our attention and we only have so much attention that we can focus at any moment in time. If you've ever tried like reading a book or a magazine article. When you're worried about something and you read yeah. a couple of pages, you don't remember anything you've read. Right. Th- that's because chatter's hogging your attention. Mm. What happens with green spaces? And this can be like you know going for a walk in, or in your neighborhood, or even like looking out your window. We're in. We're surrounded by like interesting things that capture our attention and gently drag our attention away from our chatter. Onto these interesting things around us, these bushes and trees and so forth. Now, we're not like studying, unless we're, you know, some kind of botanist, we're not studying those green spaces really carefully. We're just kind of taking it in. We become fascinated with it in a very gentle way. And that gives our attention the ability to restore. So, that's one way that our environments can help us. Another thing that nature does, but also certain, ur- certain urban, um, Um, sites too, is it gives us the opportunity to experience the emotion of awe, which is this emotion that we experience when we're in the presence of something vast and indescribable. Like, oh my God, look at this beautiful vista. Or if I'm walking down the streets of New York, like, look at this skyscraper. Like, how the hell do we figure out how to build a skyscraper? You know, Mm -hmm. we were not too long ago, we were like, didn't have cars. Right. When you experience awe, it's like the ultimate perspective broadener or distancer because it leads to what we call the shrinking of the self. You feel smaller when mm-hmm. you're contemplating something vast and indescribable. And when you feel smaller, so does your chatter. So it's a way of putting things in perspective. Um, so so those are two but ways I, I your environment can, can impact us. Um, uh, Presence.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm hearing what you're saying because I'm thinking I, I've, and I've said this before, I used to think I had a horrible memory. And then the truth was, no, my memory is fine. I just wasn't present with anything in the first place. Cause I had so much chatter going on. I wasn't even there. So of course I can't remember something. I wasn't even there mentally.
1: That's exactly it. And that's one of the ways, you know um, you know, I, I often say, I think chatter is one of the big problems we face yeah. as a species. And I say that not to like exaggerate. I say it because to your point, it makes it really hard for us to think and perform. When you're focused somewhere else, you can't do your job. Period. Mm. It creates friction in our relationships with others. Guess what, Ashley? When you're at the dinner table and you know your your partner at the table is talking about stuff, and you know you're nodding, but your mind somewhere else, you don't remember anything. That turns out that's not good for relation. I hope you never yeah. do that. Yeah. Um, and, and it impacts our health too. So right. you know, it, it's it's not a very good thing.
0: Another thought that I'm curious about is, you know, on one end, I, that's what I love about New York. And, you know, I realize I, I used to make fun of my mom for talking to herself. And now here I am walking down Park Avenue, giving myself a TED talk, you know, people are walking past me. I'm talking to myself just like my mom. Um, but It's interesting. Uh, Yes. On one side, somewhere stimulating and busy, like New York takes me out of my head because there's so much for me to look at. I've got my dog who wants all my attention and I'm happy to give it to him. But then also my family goes on this annual boating trip and I've brought some friends and they're a little bit more classy than um, this trip. Mm
2: -hmm. And so they're
0: like, what is this lake trip? And I'm like, look, like imagine everything classy that you love and then delete it. And there's just like a mountain and water and a speedboat. So I take them on this trip. And what's been so healing for me mentally is the the minimalistic input. Meaning when I'm laying on the beach, all I see is the sky, the mountain and the water. So I, I'm wondering, do you know if there's any research about how much input is good? Like we talk about green input.
1: Uh, well, this is going to be sound like contrived, like you were just like planting this to have me go into another tool. Oh my but God. Well, I assure like we can tell the readers like this was not planned at all. This was totally I'm organic. Just an
0: excellent interviewer today. Yes. You, you <laughs> nailed
1: it. So here's another Another, I think this does. You tell me if this speaks to your experience. I, I, This is the closest connection I can make. Have you ever had the experience of like when you experience chatter, you find yourself like organizing and cleaning stuff? Does ever, yeah. you ever do that? Yeah. Okay. So this is something that I've done, and I never quite understood why until I started researching this topic. Uh, I'm 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 someone who I I would like to describe myself as having an organized mind. Like I can think pretty clearly, but when it comes to my physical spaces. I'm not always very well organized. My wife is always like on my case for having, I was going to say the
0: bookshelf behind you is crushing it. Like looks so organized.
1: Yeah. But you want to, you want to do the, should I go to the sides? You want to see, I don't know if I
0: want you to affect my mood, you know, and my chatter by showing me. I I,
1: I might um, because (laughs) there's lots of stuff here, Um, you know, and there's usually like trails of clothing from the shower to the closet and dishes and, but when I experience chatter, I've always I start organizing, putting things away, cleaning. Um, turns out there's research on this. This serves a function because when you're experiencing chatter, you f- you don't feel like you have control over your mind. Like your thoughts and feelings are running away with from with you. Right, you're not in the driver's seat anymore. And what we've learned is you can compensate for that experience. By creating order and control around you. Mm. So, tidying up and organizing, that's one way to do it. Another way, perform a ritual. So, like a rigid sequence of behaviors that you do the same way every single time. Mm. You know, it could be totally arbitrary. Maybe it feels like going to the Union Square farmer's market on Saturday, exercising, and coming back and doing some journaling I don't know what you do, but actually I was at the
0: union square farmer's market this morning. So I feel like you're reading my diary and just following, you know, around the city. Big brother,
1: big brother is watching. Those are way. And so like to your point back to the beach, like the way you just described that to me, that, that is a very orderly, like pristine space. Like there's sand, there's water and, 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 an ocean. And there's not, the, the visual chaos that surrounds you in New York city is totally absent. And if that's true, that would, that would potentially partly explain why you found that. So. so
0: calm. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I was in a mindfulness class and um a while ago, they gave us a list of activities that would be claimed as self-soothing and check the boxes of what are the things you don't realize you're doing to self-soothe. And I, I checked so many boxes. I was like, am I having a chronic breakdown <laughs> that I'm not aware of? Like, Like I was every day I have music on, I I like candles, I have warm drinks, I have mood lighting in my plate. I mean, I do so much stuff. I'm like, am I just in a chronic state of preventing a meltdown?
1: Well, well, you know, it sounds to me like instead you are, um, Your sophisticated tool implementer.
0: Um, Oh, I love the reframe.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm good at those. You just call, you know, give me a call. So we did a study recently to look at how people were managing COVID anxiety. And what we found was it wasn't people who use like one tool a day that fare best. The people who fare best in the study were the people who were using the most healthy tools each day. So it was like almost taking like this cocktail of tools was the recipe for having low levels of anxiety. And I think there's an important take home there, right? Mm -hmm. Because we're often looking for those single solutions. But uh, instead, I think what we're seeing from the science is that it's not about single strategies, it's about using multiple ones. And to do that, you need to know where these tools are. I think most of us live our lives, we just kind of like stumble on tools, not really sure where they are we think these help like oh i'm cleaning and organizing right now it kind of just i never thought to do that i just did it but knowing about where these tools are that allows me to be much more deliberate in how i how i use them in my life
0: are you tired of feeling tired there's one phase of sleep that almost everybody fails to get enough of and it's called deep sleep. This is responsible for most of your body's daily rejuvenation, repair, hunger, weight loss, hormones, energy, and so much more. And chances are, if you're not loving your sleep, you're not loving your life. And one of the biggest reasons people don't get enough sleep, especially the deep state, is because they're deficient in magnesium, along with 80% of the US population. Since magnesium is responsible for 300 to 600 different biochemical reactions in your body, if you don't get enough, you're likely to struggle with sleep, energy, metabolism, pain, and stress. So why is the majority of the U.S. population missing magnesium in their body? Well, it's been missing in the soil in the United States since the 1950s. So while you can get some magnesium from certain foods like black beans, nuts, avocados, spinach, and more... If you really wanna make sure you get enough, I recommend considering a supplement in addition to these foods. This is why I was inspired to share the magnesium breakthrough product I've been using every evening from bio-optimizers. This is by far the most complete magnesium product I've ever heard of with the optimal ratio of seven essential types of magnesium, including number one, magnesium chelate, which is great for muscle strength, recovery, and health, two, magnesium malate, which helps with headaches, chronic pain, and depression, and number three, magnesium l 3 8 which is to help you improve your brain function, including your short and your long-term memory, which we all need a little of that. Most magnesium supplements only have two or three different types of the nutrient, which is still not moving the needle like BioOptimizers does head on over to www.magbreakthrough.com slash u-turn. That's www.magthrough.com slash y-o-u-t-u-r-n and make sure you use the u-turn code for 10% off your order. I absolutely am loving the Mag Breakthrough product, game changer, and I hope you enjoy the 10% off. Right. Okay. Well, so, you know, we, uh, when I think about, you know, your points, one of the things you talk about is distancing yourself from negative chatter in the workplace. And I firmly believe that the person talking smack always looks worse than the person they're talking about, even if the person they're talking about is the worst. So uh, I'm curious, like, how do you navigate that chatter in the workplace? Uh, Because, you know, you got me thinking a lot about mental health right now. Um, you know, for me living in New York, Chesley uh, Christ, who was the former Miss USA who jumped off of the building, committed suicide this week. Um, she is a mutual, I have, we have a lot of mutual friends who are heartbroken right now. And I was, and, and all of them have called me with such sadness telling me that they had no idea she had that kind of depression. They had no idea. And they spent so much time with her. Um, so for a lot of people, I think that this chatter just ruminates in our head and, and, um, decays at our mental health. So what, what are your recommendations on how to distance yourself? Um, I don't know, maybe from colleagues or having tough conversations with them in the workplace or, or anything of that nature,
1: um, on whether to do it or not, you mean, or
0: yeah, or how to participate <clears throat> in it effectively. Cause you're saying like, kind of like venting it builds bonds, but it can also kill your brain cells and your Emotional scale, right? At work, yeah. Well,
1: so there's a there's a whole. I think there's an art to being a good like chatter buddy to someone else. If you want to use that phrase,
0: yeah, I would love to hear Um, what that looks like.
1: Yeah, so like you know, there really I think two categories of experiences that we're talking about. First, are instances in which someone comes to you for support. And when that happens, I think you want to do two things, which is take the time to listen and hear them out. You do want to let them vent and express a little bit. The key is you don't want to let them only do that. You want to then help them go broad and reframe as well. Um, so if someone explicitly approaches you for support, that's the two-step process that, that you want to activate. Listen, and then try to help broaden their perspective. Now, there is an art to doing that well. And I say that because depending on the person or the situation, some people may need to spend more time just expressing their emotions before they're ready to have their perspective be brought. So sometimes my wife comes to me with something she's you know experiencing chatter about, and she'll Tell me about it. Do a little expression venting, and totally get it. it sounds awful, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm not patron. I'm, I'm, that may come off as patronizing the way I just said that, but <laughs> I, I promise but you, like, I'm very I mean, it. I mean it. You know, I know no, I'm genuinely there, present for her. And then I'll say, Hey, can I have a thought? I offer you a piece of, you know, like yeah. a way of thinking about this. And sometimes she'll be like, No, I'm not done. Just keep listening. And then I just, I keep listening, and then I try again a little bit later. Other times I ask that question to her and she's like, please tell me what you think. That's why I've come to you. So you want to just feel that out and be sensitive to when people are in a position to have their perspective be brought in. Yeah. But then there's a whole other set of situations in which you see someone that you care about, a colleague, a loved one who is experiencing chatter, they're suffering, but they haven't actually approached you for help. Mm-hmm. And then the question is, well, what do you do? Right. And research shows that, that that that's not an easy question to answer because our temptation is to help. We don't like to see other people we care about suffering, but if we offer our, our support without being asked for it, that can elicit defensiveness sometimes. So like I see my daughter ruminating about something, like, hey, can I offer you my advice? Like, yeah. did I ask you for help? No you can handle Exactly. And so that's because If you volunteer the support without it being asked for, you're threatening that other person's sense of agency and autonomy. Mm. So what do you do in those situations? And it turns out you could still help, but you want to do something we call providing support invisibly. And what that involves doing is helping without shining a spotlight on the fact that you're helping. And there are lots of forms this can take. So Let's use my wife as an example again. She's, I think, not in earshot, so fair game. So let's say, <laughs> and let's say she's, you know, some chatter. There's simple things I can do to make her circumstance easier. I could take care of picking the kids up, or, 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 or you know, other things that are on her list that day, right? That's the ways of easing easing her burden. Now, importantly, I'm not doing those things, and then showing her at the end of the day like a little a little journal. Hey, look at all the things I did today. I would like a pat on the back. I'm just doing them to ease her burden. If someone on my team is struggling with something, let's say, let's say the whole team is like working under deadline, like you know, you, you do things like you pick up dinner and coffee, like they don't have to think about it. You're just making it easier, you're clearing their mental workspace just a little bit to make it easier for them to do the things they need to do. Um, if someone on my team is struggling with their presentation skills, rather than pull them aside and say, "Hey, you really gotta up your game," I might do things like have a meeting for the whole group. Say, hey, I just let's let's do a little workshop. I found these resources really helpful. What are resources that you found helpful? I'm getting the person who needs the info they need, but not shining a spotlight on their inadequacies. So those are all the different ways we could help invisibly. Um, and when it comes to personal relationships, you could you could do something that I call affectionate but not creepy touch, which is,
0: you know, like (laughs) clarification (laughs) is very
1: important, especially when talking in the organizational context, um, you know, touch, touch is an, a really powerful tool and, you know, a hug and embrace. Um, if you think about like babies born into the world, what do we do with them? Skin to skin contact. And, you know, there are receptors on our skin that code Mm -hmm. for affection embraces. They release that Registering that infection embrace releases stress fighting chemicals. So, um, you just want to make sure it's not creepy. And that is an important thing. We all have Um, that friend
0: that's a really good hugger where it's like, oh, it's the best hugs, you know?
1: That's right. That's right. And then we have some friends who are a little creepy with our hugs and we don't like those too. Yeah, exactly.
0: I wrote about discriminate. In my yes. book. Yeah, exactly. Especially in the workplace. There's some weird hugs we got to dodge, but I have a question about though, so kind of going back to um, Chesley who committed suicide. So heartbreaking. And I was talking to dark, Dr. Margaret Rutherford. She has a podcast mm. called self-work, which you would be such a good guest for, by the way. And she w- did a little tribute to Chesley and she did like a little one or two minute episode. And she said, you don't just want to check on people um, that you think might need support, especially the people who seem really strong. Those are the ones that are keeping a lot together. Those are the ones we need to check on. When you check on them, it's kind of like what you said, you kind of threaten their autonomy or maybe it's not welcome. She said, you don't just want to do that. You want to lead with your own vulnerability. And I loved that feedback. So if you're going to a close friend, instead of saying, how are you doing? And sometimes it almost feels like when you get a text message and the person's like, how are you? And it's like, Ugh, what a lazy text. They didn't tell me anything about them. And now I need to get right. back to them. And I write them a the whole thing. And then I swear it happens all the time. They don't write me back. And then I'm like, why'd you ask me how I'm doing? I just wrote you this whole novel and, and you're gone. So point well, being. I, yeah,
1: I know. I totally get it. And actually like one of the first, so, you know, I, I've simplified here for the purpose of conversation, but in the book, I get into this. If you're if you, you tapping into something that is central to really having good social support occur between people and is relevant to this, this situation you're talking about, which is when we go to other people to talk, we've got two needs. We've got these social and emotional needs we're trying to satisfy. And that's what, you know, just taking the time to listen and connect empathically with someone else That satisfies those social-emotional needs. What we often do when we're trying to satisfy those needs is we also normalize the other person's experience we make it clear that actually what you're going through like i've dealt with this stuff too and and that conveys vulnerability that i think is essential for allowing for licensing the people you're talking to who are really struggling to really open up like when i'm talking to my graduate students about you know they come to me and they feel like they're the only ones in the world who has experienced rejection And then I, Hey, you want to let, you want to hear about rejection, sit down. It's going to take a while. And, you know, then I just go over it. That has the effect of putting us on the same level. And I think that is vital, that normalization. Um, The second need is the cognitive one, the reframing, but, but it's absolutely essential what you're saying. That normalization.
0: I loved the tip because I think I subconsciously do that. And my own vulnerability, I think comes from having anxiety in my, my chatter with myself. Um, And I used to catastrophize a lot more. And now I'm I'm better at just taking something as it is Mm -hmm. uh, most of the time. And yeah, it's been so powerful for me to, I think the anxiety kind of quelled me to, share vulnerably because i couldn't manage my own emotions in a way but then people would share more with me too um and Mm -hmm. and so i love that tip of not putting people on the spot that you think need support but actually just opening yourself up and giving them the floor too in some way like what about you how are you doing this is what i'm facing um This has been so awesome. What have I not asked you before we go that I should ask you? I know you talk about getting into nature as a way to calm your voice. We kind of touched on that. Is there anything else that I should be asking you from your book that everyone may want to kind of walk away with and think about?
1: No, I think, you know, I think we, we covered a bunch of tools. Um, the good news is that, you know, we probably talked about like a quarter of the ones that are out there. So there's a lot more great. Um, if, if people are looking for different ones and um, yeah, great, great fun conversation.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for coming onto the show. And um, you are such an easy person to talk to. Sometimes I feel like as a podcast host, I have to do a little bit of leg lifting and not with you. Cause I'm telling you, you're a professor, you guys just know how to do it. <sighs>
1: Well, the, the feelings mutual, Ashley. This was a uh, great fun. Hopefully, I didn't talk
0: too much. No, no. Thank you again. I hope you feel better from the COVID. And and by the way, where can everybody get your book?
1: Um, they can get it um anywhere books are sold. Um great. Amazon, Barnes and Noble's, and independent bookshops. Um, and um, there are links to all those spots on my website, ethancrosswithak.com. dot
0: Great.